Hope y'all are doing well. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Acts chapter 8. Book of Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. We have been uh, preaching through the book of Acts now for a while. Uh, right before we started the book of Acts, we kind of retooled our mission statement um, to revolve around three big ideas. So if anybody ever asks you what's Remedy about, you should be able to say community, mission, and care. Community, mission, and care. And so uh, that's what we are, as a church, pursuing after we believe, as we pursue after community, mission, care, that we'll pursue what would be the proper ministry of the church. All churches are, are doing, uh, as they say their mission statement, something along those lines. And for us, we put it together in community, mission, and care. And so that's how we are pursuing living out the, the mission of the church that the Lord has um, laid out in the Scriptures. So as we're doing that... Um, Right before we started going through the book of Acts, uh, we, we laid out kind of this three-part idea of community mission care. And I said, now we're going to go through the book of Acts. And as we go through the book of Acts, we're going to see example after example of these three things being shown to us. Community mission care and how the first century figured those three things out. And as they fir- figure those out, we'll take some great ideas from them and we'll see what they do. And then we'll start doing those things ourselves. So um, community mission care, we've seen example, example. Uh, we're going to zoom in on the mission one today, which is no big surprise because over the last few weeks, um, we've been looking through the book of Acts uh, chapter 8. We've seen a lot of things about mission. Uh, we saw in Acts chapter 8 verses 1 through 8, we saw some missional takeaways. And in other words, we're all supposed to live on mission. What are some takeaways that we can get from that? We even saw last week in verses 9 uh, down to 25, whenever... <clears throat> Philip has gone into this particular place, Samaria, and preached the gospel. And even Simon, the magician, has believed. What are some things that we can see about the power of the gospel and how it moves? And we, we saw that, uh, how powerful it is. We, we should believe in that and trust in that so that whenever we preach, we can see people come to know Christ. Now we've moved into verses 26, and it's still the same thing because Philip is Philip the evangelist, as Acts 21.8 calls him. He's Philip the evangelist. So anything that's being written about him is, is going to be concentrating on the fact that it's doing evangelism. So today... Uh, we're going to be doing the same thing. We're going to be looking at ideas on evangelism or personal evangelism thoughts. And so uh, before we pray, I want to say this. So the, the last few weeks we've been talking about evangelism. Now, after we pray, I'll give you a little bit of a, of a review so you can kind of know what's going on in the text. But as we're looking at verses 26 through 40, this is a, a one-on-one encounter with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and Philip shares Christ with him. Uh, we're going to see some things about personal evangelism. <clears throat> so before we pray, this is what I want you to do. Uh, because as we've been looking on, this is now would be our third sermon in a row on uh, doing evangelism, doing mission, if you will, the, the work of the church. Uh, we're going to continue doing that. And I'm not going to likely uh, tell you anything that you haven't already heard, not just in the last three weeks, but in your life. Like These are things... Because you're a believer in Christ and you've probably been in church for a while, if you haven't, it'll be brand new information and I rejoice over over that that you're here. But if you've been in church for a while, these things that I'm going to say are going to be things you've likely heard. But here's the thing. I want you to pray as we're going in uh, to time a prayer here that you wouldn't just hear repeat information and keep doing the same thing. But even though you're looking at verses and sections and thoughts on evangelism, that you're going to take these challenges with the things that you already know. And as you hear these things today, you're going to allow the Lord to, to let you hear them and actually start put, challenge you and start putting them into practice. So, again, not necessarily new stuff. But as we pray, I want you to pray, God, take these familiar thoughts and, and, and things about evangelism that I've heard before and cause me to now obey these things. Cause me to obey doing the work of personal evangelism. So I'm going to pray. Uh, I'm going to, before we pray, I'm going to leave it open. I'm just going to have a 30-second time of silence, and I want you to just spend some time in silent prayer asking the Lord to take the things that you hear today that you likely know and put them into practice and obey, and then I'll pray. So let's close our eyes and pray, and you pray in your heart and mind, and then I'll, 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 I'll pray after that.
Lord, we're grateful for your word that you've given to us. You didn't have to give us your word, but you chose to in your infinite grace and wisdom to give it to us. And we know, as it says in 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training for righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And so this section is for that. It's given to us so that we can be trained. It's given to us so that we can be competent for all the good works that you've put in front of us, which includes personal evangelism. It includes we as believers obeying the call to tell others about Jesus. And so I pray for myself and everyone here that as we hear these things today, that we wouldn't just be hearers, but doers of the word. We are desperate for those things to happen in our life. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I'll explain a little bit about what's going on so you can pick up what's happening and why Philip is such an amazing evangelist. If you look in chapter 6, specifically verse 5, at that particular time, there was some trouble. And so the disciples decided to appoint another seven men. And those seven men would be the ones that would serve uh, those who weren't getting food. And as that happened, um, they, those seven served the food. There were two in particular that are listed among the seven. You can see that Stephen was first, Philip was second, and then there's about five others. Well, Stephen, um, in the rest of chapter 6, goes on and does work. He teaches, he talks about Jesus, he goes to the temple, and as he proclaims Christ, uh, they set up some false charges against him. I think it's in verse 13, they said, these are the things that he's doing. And then verse 14 and 15, he talks about how he actually has the correct view of the temple and the law. In chapter 6, verses 13 through 15, and that those who are Jews don't understand. And then you go into chapter 7, Philip... Uh, I'm sorry, Stephen gives his entire speech on why he has an understanding of the law and of the, of the temple that they don't and why they're actually wrong. They've never understood the presence of God. So at the end of chapter 7, he, he kind of levels in some, some possible insults. They certainly took it as insulting. They, they got infuriated. They kill him uh, at the end of chapter 7. This is the very first time a Christian has ever been killed for their faith. And at that particular moment, you can look at the end of chapter 7 and into chapter 8 at verse 1, where at verse 1 it says, and Saul and the others started persecuting the church. They went from house to house and they were killing people. And so as they do that, this is the first time Christians have actually died. In chapter 5, they were persecuted and they counted themselves worthy, but now they've actually been killed. And so at that particular moment, they say, where it's all kind of been an isolated uh, uh, belief, all of Christianity has been isolated into one city, Jerusalem, they say to themselves, we can't stay here anymore. And so they leave Jerusalem because they're scared they're going to die. And so um, except for the apostles, it says in 8.1, at the very end of 8.1, it says except for the apostles. So the leadership stays in Jerusalem, which is kind of the, the king, the, the big city where it's all kind of started. But then they leave. And as they leave, they go to Samaria where there's um, some half-Jewish, half-Gentile uh, people that are the Gentiles that are there. So the Samaritans and the Jews, they didn't get along very well because the Jews looked at them as, you know, half Jewish, half Gentile, not fully Jewish. And so Philip, the evangelist, as he goes over to Samaria, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't get scared. He knew back in Jerusalem, this meant, my, this meant my life. I could be killed. But as he goes, he tells people about Christ. You can see in verses 4 and 5 in chapter 8 that he proclaims Christ or proclaims the, the gospel, and then even you get down to verse 12, it says that he proclaims the Christ, and they're, they're following him. They all, a lot of people come to Christ. As you go into verse 13 in chapter 8, it says even, even Simon the magician comes to faith. We, we talked about this last week, that possibly he didn't. Peter gives him a pretty hefty rebuke towards the end of that. Uh, but we, we've come now to verse 26, where Philip has doing, been doing some great work in evangelism. He is, he is really kind of knocking it out of the park when it, when it comes to doing evangelism and having a lot of success in that particular time and in that particular place in Samaria. So when we come to where we are in verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes uh, down from Jerusalem to Gaza. He's got to be thinking, what? Wait a second. I've been having lots of success here. Like, people are meeting Jesus. I'm, I'm doing pretty well here. And in case you weren't wondering, you're like, well, what's that like? Luke is really sure to follow up to let us know just, just what this calling involves. You can look at the last few words in verse 26. 
because none of us are necessarily live there or from there. And Luke knew that people would be reading this for a long time. It says, this is a desert place. <laughs> so like, wait a second here. So lots of success, doing pretty well. Lots of people coming to Christ. And, and I, I, I've basically been the catalyst of the spearhead. And you're saying, leave that and go out by myself in the middle of nowhere in the desert. I don't understand that. What? Okay, but Why? You've got to be thinking that. Like, I've been doing, been doing I'm Philip the Evangelist, Acts 21.8 says. Why am I being called out to the desert where nobody is? So that's what's happening. Uh, he goes out to the desert place. And when he arose, he went. And uh, he's, he's like standing out there. And you can just picture, he's, here's, my, here's my desert place over here. So he's just kind of standing in the desert place like, all right, what am I, a hitchhiker? Like, am I here by myself? What am I supposed to do? I'm just kind of chilling here. But all of a sudden, um, the Lord causes what I call... We, lots of people call this a divine appointment. So a divine appointment is not necessarily something that was on your Google calendar for the week, but the Lord hasn't synced it to your calendar, but he's already, it's on your calendar in his, his book, and then all of a sudden, there it is. There it is. It shows up. A divine appointment. The Lord has put an appointment on your calendar that he has put there, and he's saying, this is a chance for you to talk about Jesus Talk about the gospel. Talk about who I am with this particular person. You didn't plan for this. It wasn't on your calendar. But I'm telling you right now, it is. And he, he's going he's to put divine appointments in your life all the time. I, I promise you, I, by the end of the sermon, I'm going to challenge. I promise you that you will have, for sure, if you're open and you're looking and you're, you're mindful, you'll have one today. You'll, every one of you in the room well, at least have one, maybe two, but you'll, you'll definitely have one divine appointment. An appointment, my God, that you weren't counting on, that you have a chance to share about who, who Jesus is with someone. I promise you, I promise you, you'll have one today if you're thinking about it. I mean, unless you walk like this right here, straight to your car, and you get in, and you go watch football all day, and you don't see anybody else. You, you will have one. So anyway, back to the story. He arose and he went. And there, there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, um, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. So um, if you're familiar with the continent of Africa, you know that Egypt's at the very top, and that's where you know, they were at one, the Israelites are at one point. They, they were sent out to Egypt because Joseph had set up there, and you know, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. And then they, they went back up there, and there they were. Well, Egypt was kind of known as um, the, the very top of Africa, if you will. And 2,000 years ago, a large landmass under that they just called Ethiopia. It's smaller today, but underneath the, the southern part of Egypt in this particular time, they called Ethiopia. And so that's where he's from, from south of Egypt. Um, likely very wealthy guy. You can see, and he arose, there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her treasure. So this is a wealthy, um, pretty, pretty important guy traveling in a chariot. By which Philip has just been told, leave your success and go stand out in the desert. Because I've got something that I want you to do. And he was obedient. And there he was. And it says, and he had come to Jerusalem because this guy, um, the Ethiopian eunuch, had come to Jerusalem to worship. So here's what's going on. In this particular region, they had heard of the God of Israel. And their understanding of God was limited to what would be an Old Testament understanding. We believe it. there's a God of Israel. I worship the God of Israel. I make treks up to Jerusalem, and I come back home. But I don't know who this, this Jesus guy is. They've never heard of Jesus whatsoever. I mean, they didn't have internet. So the word from Jerusalem down here to the continent of Africa hadn't gotten there, and they had never heard. That, but this guy was a believer of Yahweh. He believed in the Old Testament God, and he would go up to, Old Testament, I'm sorry, to Jerusalem to worship and come back down. And he re- read the scriptures. He's, he was a literate guy. He's reading the scriptures. You can see that right here. Um, when, he was re- rece- when he was returning, he was seated in a chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Um, in this particular time, whenever you read the Bible, scriptures, you, or just read, you read out loud. Not, we, read our, we read in our heads, but they didn't read in their heads. They read, anytime they read anything, they read out loud. So this was a, an out loud reading culture. So as, you can just picture it. So here's Philip sent out here to the desert. Like, what am I doing here? No one's coming. What, I mean, I'm here, but what's going on? All of a sudden, here comes a chariot coming by, and there's a guy sitting on there reading the Bible out loud. So you think Philip's thinking, okay, I get it now. I, I know I'm here. Like, sorry, I'm sorry. Like, he's reading the Bible out loud, God. I mean, you couldn't make it any more obvious, right? So here's the, the Ethiopian eunuch, literally and he's reading Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, of all things. Like, this is, it gets even better, the divine appointment. So the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet. 
this is, I mean, this guy, when it comes to, uh, like, is this guy going to get saved? He's, he's what's called the low-hanging fruit. He's like, like really, really ripe for the picking, if you will. And he says, Philip looks at him and says, do you understand what you're reading? Because he was reading out loud, and he knew he was reading Isaiah 53. Um, and look at this. And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? <laughs> I mean, this is unbelievable, right? Um, and he invited Philip to come and sit with him. And the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Isaiah 53. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this, his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. So the eunuch's reading that, and he's thinking, um, is that, Isaiah wrote this. Is Isaiah writing this about himself or someone else? This is unbelievable. Like, the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I asked, does this prophet say this? About himself or someone else? And this is like, this is why it's low-hanging fruit. Because, I mean, it's Isaiah 53. Like, and he's, I'm a believer in Yahweh. I believe the Old Testament. I'm reading the Bible. I think this is all true. But is this, is this about Isaiah or someone else? And so he tells him. Then Philip opened his mouth, beginning with this scripture, Isaiah 53. He told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, this is probably... A, a, a long conversation. It wasn't real quick. It was probably a long conversation. Because he started with Isaiah 53. He told him the good news about Jesus. And as he did that, he had to have gotten to the part about baptism. Because here, the eunuch asks about baptism. So the conversation had to have been long for him to get to Isaiah 53, to Jesus, to even baptism. Uh, because the eunuch brings up ba- baptism here. In the desert, they just happen upon some water. In the desert. And they were going on the road, and they, saw, and they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water, exclamation mark. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down in the water. And Philip and the eunuch, um, and he baptized them. And they came up, this is where it gets even more crazy. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. <laughs> and he went on his way rejoicing. Like, so he, hey, thanks. And like teleportation. I wish we could do that with traffic, but it's pretty awesome. So he teleports him. And so you've got Jerusalem kind of here. And and over on the coast, you have Gaza. And it says that God teleports him up to a Zotus, or however you pronounce it, a Zotus. And so Philip found himself at a Zotus. I have no idea, but it sounds pretty cool. I wish that could, we could do that. So all of a sudden he's at least, I think it's at least 10 miles or 15 miles or something like that north in Azotus. And then it says, from Azotus, Philip found himself in Azotus, and he passed through and preached the gospel all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So he, he traveled up the coast from Azotus all the way to Caesarea, um, some number of miles, I'm not really sure exactly, preaching the gospel all the way until he got to Caesarea. If you look at Isaiah, I'm sorry, Acts 21, 8 and 9, it's clear that Philip finally settled in Caesarea. It says that he... He has daughters, he has four daughters that, that prophesied. He calls them unmarried, which I'm not really sure why they didn't get married. But we know in Isaiah 21 that Philip finally kind of settled, put down some roots, still did the work of evangelists, had a family, had four believing daughters that are using their gifts. Uh, and so that's kind of what we know about Philip. Now, verse 40, Philip found himself at Azotus, passed through and preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Now, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to go through this particular text I went through the story, now I want to go back through, and I want to point out some things, which, listen, it's about a personal evangelism. These are things you know. Uh, it's alliterate. I even alliterated. I made it three Ps, so it's quite Baptist today. And I don't have a dead dog story at the end, but I do have a story at the end. So this is like as Baptist as you can get here. Um, three Ps, I, I made them all rhyme so they can be easily to, 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 um, easy to remember. Now, we're talking about personal evangelism, or thoughts on personal, or personal evangelism thoughts. So... That means a chance for me to tell the gospel to someone that's sitting across the table or the couch or the desk or whatever it is, you know, that you sit across from or stand across from or whatever, and you're going to tell them. And there's really kind of three things I want you to see here in this particular text. The first one is the preparation. So it's, it's before I get there, the preparation. How do I prepare to be able to finally share the gospel? The first thing is preparation. And there's, there's many things you can do to prepare, but there's at least four right here in this particular text for preparation. To finally be able to share the gospel with someone. The first one is this. And it's really um, verses 1 through 25. But I'll, I'll pinpoint some things that are going on. Preparation for Philip in this particular moment to share the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch was, number one, he was already living a witnessing lifestyle. Preparation for this moment was that he was already sharing the gospel with people. 
You can look at it in verses 4 and 5. What's the first thing he does when he gets to Samaria? With persecution. He was in Jerusalem and he was being killed. And he goes over to Samaria. What's the first thing he does? He knows that he was getting killed in Samaria or in Jerusalem. People are getting killed. But he doesn't get over here and like, I better keep my mouth shut. He, he tells the gospel. It says in verse 4 and in verse 5 and in verse 12. And then as he gets here, he shares the gospel. So this may sound profound. It's not at all. It's actually not profound at all. But it's crucial. You're not going to wake up one day and just become a master evangelist. That's not how it's going to work. And here's the completely non-profound statement. The way that you're really going to start doing evangelism is to just start doing evangelism. You, you got to just start doing it. And so for the preparation for Philip at this moment is that he was already living a witnessing lifestyle. He was already doing it. So that when he gets here, it's, he's got some experience, he's got some built-up momentum, he's done it before, and he does it. Maybe you're still in the... In, in, in the, you know, in the on-deck circle, and you've never actually stood up to the plate and, and, and actually said anything. It's time to step up to the plate. Like, just, you're going to mumble through it. It may not go well. It may go awesome. It may go like, wow, I didn't even know I could do that. But the way you're going to get good at evangelism is to start doing evangelism. And for the preparation for him was he was already living a witnessing lifestyle. There's more preparation, though. The next one is this. Verse 26 Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go to the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So in the midst of lots of success, the Lord spoke to him and said he wants him to go somewhere else. And you know what? He was open to it. So preparation for him was he was completely open to God's leading. So for you, for you, whenever the Lord is being, it's clear that he's given a divine appointment, you need to be open to it. You need to be open to the Lord's leading whenever opportunities come to share the gospel. Have a mindset that says, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing. Now, I want to draw a distinction. Not only was he completely open to God's leading, watch this. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go to the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. That's the open. That's verse 26. Verse 27 is this, and he rose and went. Not only was he open, he was obedient. So being, I'm open, Lord, I'm open. Whatever you want to do. Okay, how about this? I'm I'm open, but I'm not going to obey that one. So the third part of preparation is, not only was he open to God's leading, he was obedient to God's leading. Now, this obedience to God's leading is before the moment. This This is prior to, but he's obedient to God's leading. And we just have to admit that these are clearly two different things. Open to God's leading and obedient to God's leading, I think, is the absolute dividing line likely with most Christians. We're all open to God's leading, and then it's like, okay, this. And then all of a sudden we don't get obedient to God's leading. I think that the breakdown, and this is my experience as a pastor. I've been a pastor for, I don't know now, 20-something years. My in interactions that I have with people that want to share the gospel, they believe that they're supposed to share the gospel. They love Matthew 28. They, they want people to meet Jesus. The breakdown in from being open to finally doing it is this. They, they, they know they're supposed to, but they just don't obey whenever the opportunity comes. They get scared. They get nervous. They don't know what to say. There's lots of reasons. There's a whole lot of reasons. And I'm not putting that down. I understand. Like, I'm, in, I'm there with you. But we have to admit, these are two different things. Here, Philip is obeying, going to the desert. That's legit obedience right there. Like, leave where you're having success and go to the desert. So he wasn't just open. He was obedient. Divine appointments, I'm telling you, are awaiting us all the time if we're just willing to follow God's leading. So, in preparation, he was living a witnessing lifestyle. He was open to God's leading, and he was also obedient to God's leading, verse 27, and he went The next thing I want you to see is this. There's an Ethiopian eunuch, court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And when he'd come to Jerusalem, remember he's just, Philip's just standing out in the middle of nowhere. A chariot just happens to pass. And the chariot was seated. uh, And he was reading the prophet Isaiah out loud. And then he says, do you understand what you're reading? Like he has the conversation. Do you know what you're reading? I don't know what I'm reading unless someone explains it to me. How am I going to be able to explain it to him? How's Philip going to... 
the reason why, the reason why Philip is going to be able to explain it to him is this. Here's the fourth thing about preparation. He knew the scriptures. He knew the scriptures. In preparation to be able to do evangelism, we have to be immersed in the scriptures. We have to be reading the scriptures, listening to the scriptures, seeing Christ, understanding Christ. Um, ongoing study of the scriptures in our own life prepares one correctly whenever the time comes to be able to share the gospel to explain the scriptures. You're going to explain it well if you have ongoing study prior to. All right, so those are the four things that just in the text. There's more we could say about preparation. I'm only going to say what's in the text. So before we finally get to the moment, the first stage or the first thing about personal evangelism is preparation. And those four things are already be living a witnessing lifestyle. Just start sharing the gospel. Just start. Next one, be open. Next one, be obedient. And the next one, already know that, and no, you're not going to know them perfectly. I don't, no one knows them perfectly, but already be studying them. So that when the time comes and you can share the gospel and you can use the Bible to tell people about Jesus, you're competent. You're competent in the scriptures. Now, here's the great news. The Holy Spirit takes what you have and, and talks through you and speaks through you and, and even not only speaks through you and helps you give you understanding what you're saying, but even the person that's hearing it, he clears up their mind to be able to hear what you're saying. So there's, there's a whole lot of like, stuff happening behind the scenes, if you will, praise the Lord, that, that your, your, your meager study or your awesome study of the scriptures, the Lord's using that. But study the scriptures in preparation. You want to be a good evangelist? Study the scriptures. So that's the preparation side. Next part is the actual practice. Preparation, now practice. We're going to see some things. There's, there's uh, eight things in practice that he does in practice of personal evangelism. Whenever he's, It's time to start sitting down here and talking to you about Jesus. There's things that he does here that I want you to be able to see. Now, um, whenever I talked about he was obedient to the Lord's leading before the moment, hey, go down to, uh, to the middle of the nowhere. Okay, I'll go down to the middle of nowhere. So he was obedient to go here. Now, not as only obedient to come here, when the guy's coming by, in the actual moment, he was obedient prior to, but now in the actual moment, he's still got to be obedient. Here comes the Ethiopian eunuch, and here's him reading Isaiah 53, and he's, okay, God, he, uh, he could just say, no, no, I can't do it. Like, so even here, that was preparation, but now we're in the practice. In the practice part, you still have to be obedient. So this particular obedience that I'm going to point to is not beforehand, but in the moment. He obeyed the Holy Spirit's leading, verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So in practice, we have to obey the Holy Spirit. We have to obey the Holy Spirit in the moment. We don't just obey beforehand to get us up to that time to get scared and don't say anything. But in the moment, in the actual divine appointment when it's happening, we also have to obey the Spirit's leading. Not only that, you could put this second one with it. Uh, Number one and two could be be together. I broke out the second one just because I think it's so awesome. Verse 30, I mean, this is a guy that loves evangelism. Can you picture this? A grown man. This is a grown man. Go over and talk to that guy. So Philip ran. Can you imagine the Ethiopian eunuch seeing this grown man run to him? Like, I want you to go talk to him, Philip. Okay, and he just running as fast as he could towards this chariot. I mean, I think that's awesome. So the second thing in practice is he ran at the opportunity to witness. So if we're going to bring that into 21st century, like I know you're not going to literally run towards people, and you probably shouldn't because they might think you're weird. Um, but, but this means like, Leap at the opportunities for, for being able to tell people about Jesus. If a chance comes for you to do it, don't shrink back and say, I don't know. Like, any chance you get, go for it with all kinds of vigor. You, you don't metaphorically run at the opportunity, if you will, to be able to share, people, share with people about Jesus. So in practice, he obeys the Spirit's leading in the moment. He ran at the opportunity to witness. And then here's, here's a key thing. This is a this is a key thing. Number three, four, and well, I don't want to say that because I like them all. But number three, four, and five are, I think, important parts of whenever you're doing evangelism, putting into practice evangelism, number three, four, and five are key. First thing he does, Philip ran to him. He heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and he looked at him, and he said, do you understand what you're reading? He asked a question. He didn't launch into his prepared speech. He was ready to take the posture of a listener. So in practice, Ask questions. That's the third one. Philip asks questions. Do you understand what you're reading? You got to do that. What's, what's your background? In order for you to know who, where they are spiritually, 
to tell them the gospel, it's helpful for you to ask questions. What's your background? What do you believe? Tell me what you know about Jesus. Tell me what you know about the scriptures. Tell me what you believe about God. Tell me what you believe about creation. Tell me what you believe about, I mean, ask all kinds of questions. How how does someone get saved? Ask questions. Now, that leads me into my fourth one. Don't ask questions just so, if you think you're intellectually like awesome, to display your knowledge. Don't ask certain questions so that when they give answers, you're like, I asked a question because I actually am a pretty good expert on this. So as soon as you give your answer, I'm not really listening. I've just got about seven or eight prepared for Mark. So I'm recycling my mind right now. So whenever you finally stop talking, whoom, I can just put on display my intellectual prowess. So that's not what you do, right? Number three is ask questions. Number four is this. Listen to their answers. Listen to their answer. Philip listens. Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I let someone... It guides me. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the scripture I'm reading. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, etc. And the Ethiopian said to Philip, About whom, I ask, does this, does this prophet say? About himself or someone else? So he asks a question. Do you understand what you're reading? And then he lets the Ethiopian eunuch talk. And when he does, he listens. So in our practice of evangelism, we ask questions because we need to know where they are. And we don't ask certain questions just so we can make ourselves look awesome whenever we finally answer it. But we ask questions because we need to know who they are. And when they answer, we listen. We listen to them. It's very hard. I, I suffer. It's very hard, I think, for us to really listen to people. Like, we listen to about the first 10 seconds of something somebody's saying. And then all of a sudden, whatever they're saying, we've already, we've already, lots of things. We've already prepared our remarks in our head. And now we're just waiting for them to finish so we can start. Or we're looking around to somebody else and we're, Pull out our phone and they're like, I'm kind of listening still. Like, like, zone in and listen to everything that they say. Because the very end could be the most important part. So listen. Listen to what they're saying. Then, number five. If you don't remember anything. If you don't remember anything about what I say. This is the part in practicing evangelism you need to, you need to listen to. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture. Here it is. Underline if you like to underline the very end of 35. He told him... The good news about Jesus. He told him the good news about Jesus. He told him the gospel. This, this is not like rocket science here. If you want to tell somebody how to meet Jesus, you got to tell them about Jesus. If you want to tell somebody in personal evangelism how to get saved, you got to tell them the good news about Jesus. It seems obvious, but I think sometimes maybe it's not. I've had conversations with people that thought they shared the good news about Jesus with someone, but they didn't. It was just kind of a nebulous conversation about, you know, not going to hell or uh, different kind of things, but it wasn't a clear gospel presentation. So you want to tell them the good news about Jesus. And here's where it gets really interesting. It says, then Philip opened his mouth, notice this, beginning with this scripture. The Ethiopian eunuch had a verse that he needed to be explained. And what did he do? He started with that guy's verse. Not his verse. He started with that guy's verse. And beginning with this verse, he told him the good news of, about Jesus. We should be able to do this. Now, I'll give it to you. It was Isaiah 53. Like, of all verses that the guy is picking, he's like, can you tell me about the suffering servant? Do you know anybody that suffered recently? Is there, is there, is there some kind of story of a messianic guy that maybe suffered in the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 weeks here from here. Like, I mean, it's a pretty knock out of the park. It wasn't like you pulled out the, you know, creation or the gap theory from Genesis 1 or 2. Like, I know it's not a hard one. But what he does do, you don't know what I'm talking about. That's fine. Like, it's, you shouldn't. Um, <laughs> he, he started with Isaiah 53, which is an easy, easy task I'll grant. But the principle's still there. Philip started with his verse and led to the gospel. We should be able to do that. We should be able to, whatever verse they're coming at us with, Okay, and then take them to Jesus in the gospel. But we need to be able to tell them about Christ. So the fifth thing in practice is this. Tell them the gospel. We should be able to do that. We should be able to coherently tell them the gospel. When we talk about the gospel, we tell them primarily the objective facts of Jesus. His death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. We talk about Jesus. Now, you still tell your personal story. That's fine. You should tell them how you became a Christian. But when we tell the gospel, that's the good news about Jesus. It's not the good news about FUD. What happened to me? I still should do that because that's important. 
I'm having a personal conversation with them. But you got to talk about Jesus. We tell them the gospel. Now, I want to take a step back on the sixth one and, and help you see something about evangelism. In the practice of evangelism, this is what's going on with Philip. Thus far, we've seen him leave Jerusalem, and he's Jewish. And as he went, here in this particular text, he's witnessing to a wealthy Ethiopian one-on-one, private evangelism. A wealthy Ethiopian, an African. And before that, he's witnessing to mixed-raced Gentiles and Jews in public conversation, in public proclamation, verse 4 and 5. And even, seemingly in verse 13, a one-on-one with Simon, who was a mixed-race magician of some sorcery kind of sorts, right? So my point is this. He's not, he's not picking and choosing. He's pretty indiscriminate on who he's sharing the gospel with. He's just willing to share the gospel with anybody. It doesn't matter who you are. You have a, you have a pulse, and you're, you have an ear, and I'm going to talk. That's the sixth thing I want to talk about practice. He witnessed to someone completely different than him. We should as well. We should be willing to indiscriminately proclaim the gospel to, and befriend people and get to know them and tell them about Jesus, no matter um, what race they are, what, what socioeconomic status they are, uh, super educated, non-educated, wherever we are in life, we want to witness to people because the Lord has given us a divine appointment. So whoever they are, if the Lord's put them in your path, God has put them in your path. He's put them in your path. And so uh, Philip here doesn't say, I only witness to people that look like me, think like me, have the same education as me, have the same money as me. That's just, that's nonsense. That's not biblical. Philip here witnesses to someone completely different than him. So that's the practice. And therefore, we should do the same thing. We should be willing to witness to anybody. Anybody. Because everybody is an image bearer. Everybody's made in the image and likeness of God. And everybody is loved and created by God. We need to share with them the gospel so that they can be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the sun. Now, this next one, um, I want to make a 21st century remedy application. But let's just look at it. Uh, In this particular practice... Verse 36, they were going on the road, came to some water, and he said, here's the eunuch, said, hey, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he stopped the chariot, and they got down in the water, and Philip baptized him. All right, I'm not going into the theology of spontaneous baptism. Not going into that. That's what's happening here, clearly, right? No church was present. It was just them two. Boom, let's do it. I'm not getting into the theology behind that uh, and why we say it needs to happen in the context of a church and you need to talk with them about the gospel and we even do a video, blah, blah, blah. But here's the thing I want to point out, though. When we do our baptisms, you know, and here I'm on this side and, and Joe Bob's on the other side and, and Jimbo's in the middle, I always say, hey, you know what? Joe Bob was really instrumental in leading Jimbo to, to Christ. Like, he shared the gospel with him over the conversation or whatever. He put his faith in Christ and he was very instrumental. And then right before we baptize him, I say, here's what I want. I want you to be on the other side with me. I want you to lead your Jim Bob or Joe Bob or whichever one it was to Christ. And I want you to be there. And we're going we're gonna to baptize them together. Whatever the name was. We're, we're, so, and I always, right before we do a baptism, I always say, I want you in the water here with me baptizing. Because I want that to motivate you to say, you know, there's two ordinances in the church. Lord's Supper and baptism. I can take the Lord's Supper each Sunday. But I want to, besides my own baptism, be a part of that ordinance. I want to get in the water because the Lord has given me a divine appointment. And I was obedient and I shared the gospel. And they got saved and me and Fudd or Jack or Joe, whoever's the elders at the time, we're going to stand there and we're going to baptize them and I'm going to rejoice and I'm going to say, yes, I was a part of seeing someone make their public profession in Christ in baptism. So the, the practice part is this. Let's do that. Like He baptizes him because he led him to Christ. Let's see people that you're leading to Christ and we, we're getting to baptize, baptize them here at Remedy. I think that's awesome. I think that's awesome motivation for us. Over and over when we do them, I beg you to get in that water with me. Not, not just like join, but like because you've led someone to Christ. So let's, let's be motivated by being able to join in the ordinances of the Lord that he's created for us to be a part of in baptism. And here's the last thing in practice. And this is just, I think, huge, right? So this wasn't a one and done, never going to do it again. That's not who Philip was. What does he do? Like it says it right there in verse 40. Before he, right after he, the Lord teleports him to Azotus, right? It was like, all right, whew, work for the day's over. Even this year, I've met my quota. I don't have to do any more evangelism. What does he do? Like from Azotus all the way to Caesarea, what's he doing? It says it right there. 
He passed from town to town preaching the gospel. Like, this guy loves it. So in practice, he kept preaching the gospel. We got to, I, I should change it. So preaching the gospel doesn't make you feel like, you know, I got to wear a mic and I got to have a crowd. Like, that's not it. He kept telling people about Jesus. From town to town as he traveled, from Azotus all the way up to Caesarea up the coast, he kept telling people, went from town to town, telling people about Jesus. That's, that's easily something. Just change town to town, to hall to hall, or apartment to apartment, or house to house, or desk to desk, or whatever environment it is that you can share the gospel. He, he traveled from Azotus all the way up to Caesarea, from desk to desk, from one part of Rock Hill to the other, or whatever, York County, or whatever, Winthrop, and shared the gospel. So the practice of evangelism means you keep practicing evangelism. So we've seen the preparation, the things that you can do. You can witness, you'll be obedient, you're open, and you know the scriptures. And then in the actual time when it's time to share the gospel, you continually stay obedient. You, you ask questions, you listen, you proclaim the gospel, you're indiscriminate, it doesn't matter who they are. You want to be a part of the baptism, you preach the gospel even after that. You teach, tell people about Jesus. So that's the first two Ps. Um, preparation. In practice. The last one is the product, the result, but it had to stay in the piece. Like, what's the result? What's the product? What does it produce? Well, here's what we see it produces. Verse 39 is this. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and, and the eunuch saw him no more, which has got to be spooky for him. But the next part is what's awesome. And he went on his way rejoicing. So here we have someone filled with joy. The product is a rejoicing Ethiopian eunuch. Like this guy came to Christ and was baptized and is now living a life of joy. So the first product is this. We have someone now that is living a life of joy in Christ. That's the first product. The second one is the obvious one. Um, Philip just led someone to Christ. We have a convert now. Someone that will now live in heaven forever. They were without knowing it, even likely, um, not a believer in Jesus, not a follower of Christ, not on a pathway towards heaven. They were a a member of the dominion of darkness. But because now someone came to him and told him the gospel, he's been transferred into the kingdom of the Son. So here we have someone whose life's been changed completely. Not just temporarily, this short life we have, but his eternity has been changed. So not only have someone rejoicing, living a life of joy in Christ, but we also have someone whose eternity has now changed forever. And that can happen for you. If you don't know Christ, you can put your faith in Christ for his death, burial, and resurrection for you on the cross and believe that his death should have been yours, confess your sin, ask for forgiveness, be washed completely clean, and now you can live a life of joy of Christ and, and one day be in heaven forever. But here's even the best one. This is the best product. I love this. Third one. A disciple now to go to a whole unreached continent. That's the product we have. The first African convert who goes to the entire continent now of Africa. And I'm assuming since the first couple hundred years, there are lots of uh, history being written about people coming into Christ. That he went down there and just like he had this Ethiopian, just like he had an encounter with Philip and someone shared the gospel with him, he went down to Ethiopia, and he proclaimed the gospel. We get Augustine from this. We get Augustine of Hippo from this. If you don't know who that is, you should Google him. He's a pretty big dude in Christianity. He lived around 300. He's a big deal. And so we have Augustine of Hippo and many other um, people that have been saved in the entire continent of Africa. We have the first African convert who goes as the first missionary to an unreached people group in the entire continent of Africa and preaches the gospel and shares Jesus. And we know the results. People have been saved all over in there. So the product is a missionary now going to an unreached people group. That's something to be super excited about, which means, which means you might not be very good at evangelism, but you could share the gospel in a half-hearted, not so great, kind of fumble through it, but I'm, glorifying Jesus with it as best as I can with someone who is an amazing evangelist when they come to know Christ. And they can go to tremendously unreached people and see thousands come to Christ. And you're part of that chain. You are intimately connected to that person's work and success, if you will, and, and seeing people come to know Christ. 
And because you shared the gospel with them, who might be an amazing evangelist, thousands can get saved. I think that's something that really, really, really can motivate us to share the gospel with people. If you don't feel like you're very effective, you could lead someone to Christ that's amazingly effective. Amazingly effective. There's, there's kind of two things happening here with Philip. He's seeing success, and in the success that he's seeing, he's called on by God to leave that success and go in the middle of nowhere to desert. And at first, he's got to not necessarily understand. He, he knew that God was calling him, but he didn't understand the plan, I don't think, when he's going out. But God had a big plan. He, God knew that the eunuch was going to be there. God had chosen Philip to be the one to share the gospel. And God had orchestrated events to happen that wouldn't necessarily be the way that Philip would choose. But because he was obedient, he saw the eunuch come to Christ and the first African convert. And so God was, serving, uh, God was sovereignly working through man's obedience, Philip's obedience, to bring about someone to Christ. God had a big plan and sending him to the desert that Philip didn't necessarily see right off. But it was that he got to live, I'm sorry, he got to lead someone to Christ. God had a huge plan that Philip didn't necessarily see and understand. But because he said, I'm willing to, I'm willing to do it anyway, he got to see someone come to Christ. Whenever I was living in Charleston, I was an enrollment counselor, and I was taking a trip in my truck. I had a truck at the time. I still have a truck, but it was a different truck. And I was driving all around the state, um, you know, trying to get people to come to Charleston Southern, going to schools and churches, etc. And I was driving in Columbia at this particular time. It was like a tropical storm. Interstates were packed, and I was driving. And I was like a couple exits away from my exit. And a guy comes off the, off the ramp like a madman, you know, spinning as soon as he's getting off the exit. Boom, I crushed him. I, I mean, I just absolutely crushed him. It wasn't my fault. It's his fault. But I uh, just want to throw that in. Uh, it was in a terrible accident, by the way. It, it, was a, it was a bad accident. Truck was totaled, airbag, you know, the whole deal, raining, all that kind of stuff. And I'm just thinking to myself, oh, why is this happening? You know, who wants to have their truck totaled and go through this? But God had a plan. God had a huge plan. Christy was also, now I had I'd been traveling that whole week, so I hadn't, I had, I didn't go down to Charleston because I was already in Columbia. But Tr- Christy was also driving on the interstate that day from Charleston to Columbia. But I was a youth minister at the time. She was driving the church van with my youth group in it. Um, and the plan was after the weekend that we would just take, you know, my truck and the van back down. But obviously that didn't happen. Um, but, but God had a huge plan here, things that I didn't understand. There was a student, one particular student that had agreed to go on this, this conference that we were doing um, in Columbia. And uh, her name was Christine, and we had been praying for her for a long time. And we were going to this youth conference, and I was like praying like crazy. She's going to come to know Christ here. Dave Nasser was the, was the speaker. I don't know if you heard him, but he's really awesome. He's, he's always real funny and always, you know, home run every time. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. She's going to come to know Christ here at this, at this uh, conference. It's going to be great. And so, you know, we're getting to, to, through the conference, and I've been praying like, Lord, save her. Even in the invitation time, when he's giving the invitation, I'm like, all right, God, save her right now. And she's look over and just like, Stoic, nothing, like nothing. And we leave, and I'm like, okay, what about the next day? So we go to the next day, invitation time. Anybody else coming to Christ? And she's, and we're like leaving, and we're walking out, and I'm just walking back to the van like, I understand, God, like what's going on, you know? Uh, <laughs> uh, how come? How come she didn't come to know Christ? Like, I'm just so confused. And so we're getting in the car, mind you, just the van, because my truck's totaled. Um, and so we're, we're in the van, and I'm driving, and Christy's right here, and we're driving back to Charleston, uh, and I'm just confused and thinking, gosh, I wish Christine would have come to know Christ. I, I don't understand what's going on. She's sitting, you know, it's a 15 passenger. She's sitting right here, uh, and we're sitting here, and she, she leans forward. We're about halfway, so we're in Orangeburg. It's like uh, being in 1968, and so we're, we're in Orangeburg uh, in the interstate, and so as we're driving, she leans forward to us, and she's like, hey, uh, Fudd, Christy, so this... Uh, this being a Christian thing. Um, can, you, can you tell me about that? I'm, I'm interested in that. And I'm thinking to myself, all along you had a plan. All along you had a plan. If we were in different cars, she was not leaning forward. But all this happens so that we're driving home together. Christine, Lee, and I'm just thinking, it's got to happen in the conference. No, it's not going to happen in the conference. It's going to happen in the Lord's plan and the way he has. He has a big plan sending me to have a truck totaled but I have a chance to lead someone to Christ. And so we're, we're there, we're driving. I'm like, are you kidding me, God? Like, are you, how, is this? So pull over to the BP. 
we, me and Christy go sit at the bench at the BP in Orangeburg and lead Christine to Christ. The, the rest of the people are like sitting, y'all just stay in the van. Like they're there for 45 minutes. It's so hot. Turn on the air. Like too bad. So she's coming to Christ. Like she, she was like, she understands hell and now she doesn't. Anyway. Um, so anyway, we, we lead Christine to Christ. Um, and then we go back home and I just remember thinking, this is amazing. Like the Lord had a plan the whole time. He called Philip out to the desert and he was obedient to that plan. And he might not have understood it totally, but he still was willing to share Christ. And it's the same thing happened. I'm giving you success stories, right? But you don't need to feel like every evangelistic endeavor has to be a success story. Jesus himself tried to lead the rich young ruler to Christ. That's not a success story. The guy left and said no. So you don't have to be a success story. Evangelism is message delivered, not effect happened. Like we, we, we can't make people get saved. Evangelism is telling. I read this a few weeks ago about, about, from Spurgeon about telling people about Christ. And I want to read it again as we close. Um, and hopefully as we've seen some of these things about evangelism, we've been motivated and challenged to want to tell people about Christ. Spurgeon says this, You and I must continue to drive at people's hearts until they're broken. Then we must keep on preaching Christ crucified till their hearts are bound up. And when this is accomplished, we must continue to proclaim the gospel to their whole nature is brought into subjection to the gospel of Christ. So we, in evangelism, preach Christ, preach him crucified, leave the results up to God. But the Lord has, I'm telling you, I'm not kidding, the Lord has divine appointments that he is downloading to your calendar. And if you will see that they are synced up, they are there waiting and available. And there are people all around you, even today that you're gonna walk by, that the Lord has divinely appointed that you would tell them the gospel. That you would tell them who Christ is. They may or may not be saved. That's, that's the Lord's results. But let's be obedient to preach the gospel to them. To tell them who Christ is. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. You're so good for giving us your word. We pray that as we hear these things about uh, doing effective evangelism. That we would be challenged and motivated that we would, we would prepare, that we would do all the work of preparation to be able to tell people. But in the moments, that whenever it's time to tell people the gospel and the practice of doing it, that we would listen, we would ask good questions, and that we would, would tell them the good news about Christ unashamedly. We would understand that there's power in the gospel and that we would indiscriminately tell it to anybody. doesn't matter who they are, but we want them to hear and know about Christ. And Lord... It could be, it could be that we would get to lead someone to Christ that could go on and they could lead thousands to Christ. It could be that we get to lead thousands to Christ one day. That the Lord, you just equip us so well that we're actually able to lead a lot of people to Jesus. But it could be that we get to lead someone to Christ that's the next Billy Graham that sees thousands of people come to know Christ. We'll give you all the glory, Lord. Use us, please. We pray all this in Jesus' name.